Welcome to today's episode of Absolutely Not. I am your host, Katrina Stroll, and I am dedicated to providing examples of setting personal boundaries at work and the vocabulary needed to name harm in those spaces. Some of that vocabulary includes abuse, mental health, and traumatic. The definitions of these words and more words can be found on my website under the resources page. But today you'll be learning about ADHD, and the PR industry. I know that sounds really specific, but I am super excited to get into it today with my special guest, Al, oh my gosh, Alana Simpson. I just, she just wanted the pronunciation to her name. Okay. One second. I swear I have a bio. Alana is a PR strategist, ADHD advocate, and for funsies, a huge hiking fan. She guides entrepreneurs and their teams through building public relations systems and strategies while helping, sorry, while helping nurture their storytelling skills. After working, her clients, after working with her, her clients are more than capable of doing PR internally and working towards filling up the as seen in section of their website in no time. Yay! When she's not mentoring entrepreneurs, she collaborates with PR agencies, advocating for neurodivergent folks, helping agencies create a self, a safe and healthy workplace for all neurotypes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. And I completely apologize for messing up that name. We just had this conversation. Not a problem at all. <laughs> it's all good. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I love the advocacy that you're bringing to the PR industry. What brings you into this advocacy? So when I, it, it, it kind of just fell into place, honestly. So I worked in a PR agency for about three, well, no what is time? About three years. We'll just say that. <laughs> and um, during that time, I, I re what I really loved about working in an agency environment was the fact that I was on several different accounts. So I was able to jump through tasks and jump from client to client throughout the day, which is naturally how my brain had always worked. And then I would always get really frustrated when um, employee like review time would come around because I would always get dinged on the same things and I never knew why like I was always told that my attention to detail needed work and I needed to um work on stuff like not accepting new responsibilities and finishing the old ones <laughs> um so after I left working at a PR agency a friend of mine had posted something about ADHD on her Facebook page and as I was reading through her experiences I was like oh or their experiences sorry um I was having a really I was having a moment where I was like, all of this sounds really familiar. And then I ended up sort of doing my own research, reaching out to my therapist saying, hey, I think I have ADHD. Here's a page why. And it was like, all of these things is how ADHD shows up in women. And then that really got me thinking in the sense of the ADHD brain is known for being extremely creative and being able to come up with out of the box ideas. And that's what PR agencies hire. They're looking for people who are able to um, 
think of these really creative examples. Well, PR and ad agencies, and like a really specific example of this, I know I'm going off topic, but uh, a really specific example of this is the Shreddies campaign for, because when you think of a Shreddy, it's just like a little square. And then there was this intern at the agency that was doing ads for Shreddies. And they were like, well, what if we tilt it to the side and make it a diamond? and have like the diamond shreddy. And like, it's so simple, but it's so different, right? And like PR agencies and ad agencies look for that kind of thinking and that I relate that to the ADHD brain. And so there's not a lot of conversations around disability or neurodiversity in the PR agency space that I'm aware of at this point. And so I just decided, you know what? Like, I think there's probably a lot of people who live and work in that space that either don't have the support or might not feel heard or love what they do, but are having difficulty with whatever's going on around their neurodiversity or disability, depending on what language they like to use. And I just, I really wanted to, to do some work around that because I would have loved to have had that and have the knowledge of having ADHD while I was at the agency. And just like, as you're doing with Absolutely Not, building this conversation around boundary setting in the workplace and like building the language around it. I want to do the same thing with with PR and ADHD and neurodiversity in that industry. I love it. I love the work that you're doing. I love that you use the word language a couple of times because that's all this is. This language is new to everyone or it feels like it's new to everyone because it wasn't out there in the open. It wasn't all over the interwebs. It wasn't on social media until a couple of years ago. Have you seen that influx firsthand? Yeah, I mean, I really, I should have looked up the background of the term neurodiversity before getting on this interview. Um, I do know that it comes from a researcher, I believe, based in um, Australia, potentially. I'll, I What I can do is I can take a look into it after it and, and email you with it afterwards. Um, but what I really appreciate is the fact that there's like a specific term for that kind of that kind of disability, because it is a disability. I mean, any form of neurodiversity, we're talking about OCD, bipolar disorder, Tourette's, ADHD. There's, there are a lot of things that fall under neurodiversity. And while it is a disability, I, for me, I use the terms interchangeably. And for anyone who's disabled, like it's their choice of how they want to speak about it. And like, I think it's really great that there's different types of language that you can use to describe about it because like our brains are different and while everyone does have a different brain yes our brains are made literally differently my brain is made differently because I don't have the same dopamine mm -hmm. as a neurotypical person and that affects me in a number of different ways and I yes I, as a communicator language is incredibly important and so I do tend to hone in on that that's awesome and I'm Love the word that you use, communicator, because the our ability to kind of communicate our boundaries around our own conditions or illnesses or disabilities that we have is so important. How have you been able or have you been able to communicate your boundaries around being an advocate for ADHD? You know, quite honestly, it is, it's quite new for me. So um, I'm still learning. Um, I do tend to be quite overt when it comes to conversations. I do try because one of the things that 
or one of the reasons why finding out that I have ADHD has been a gift is it's given me the knowledge and language and information that I need to be able to set those boundaries. Because going back to, to your initial question about how I came into this, I had spent so much of my life knowing that there was something off or like feeling like there was a puzzle puzzle piece that didn't fit and I didn't know why. And I think it affected me more than I realized. And so now being able to have that ability to communicate clearly saying, this is what I'm able to do. This is what I'm not able to do. I mean, it related to, to, to the PR industry. I went to the dentist a couple of weeks ago and they were telling me all of the things that I needed to do for a specific cavity really. And I was like, okay, look, like, I'm going to be really clear with you. I, I have ADHD. It is a disability and changes to routine take me a very long time. And so like, I realized that this is what I need to do for my dental hygiene, but I need you to understand that if I come back in 60 days and it hasn't changed, it's not for a lack of trying. It's because it takes me longer than your average person. And his reaction was his reaction. And I didn't necessarily appreciate it, but I did my job to set a boundary to say, look, this is what I can't do. Um, and in terms of the PR industry, I think, I haven't necessarily had a chance to do it yet, but that's why I want to work with PR agencies to help them set up the space so that if someone like me says, hey, I'm not great at copy proofing, but if you like, I'm really good at strategy, setting up a space where a junior person can say that and feel safe rather than feeling like I don't feel comfortable doing this because I need to cut my teeth kind of thing and need to like pay my dues before I'm allowed into a strategy session. Oh my gosh. Um, and I love that you use the word puzzle piece because, well, I'm very visual when people use metaphors like that. So the puzzle piece, I'm just thinking of me walking around as a certain type of puzzle piece, trying to get into that square peg or that <laughs> circle peg and knowing damn well, I am not a square or a circle. Like I've never been a square or a circle. I'm probably a star or a triangle and all of these organizations that I was trying to move into without that language, I just couldn't get in there because I couldn't say like, hey, I'm actually a star triangle type person and I would be better suited for a star slash triangle type role. Have you ever been a star trying to get into a circle peg? Yeah, I mean, I think that was very much my experience at the PR agency. I love that question. I do love the, the visual allegory as well. I'm, I'm, I am also a very visual person, so I appreciate it. <laughs> um, in the sense of like, it was kind of, to go back to the puzzle analogy, it was kind of like, there was a piece of a puzzle that like, I was or like the puzzle was missing a piece and it was one of those circumstances where the piece looks like it fits, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I kept on trying to fit. And it was it like to go back to the attention to detail. I mean, to give credit to the agency that I used to work at, I mean, like they were always trying to be supportive in the sense of, um, it's not like I got any formal warnings or it was not like it was this thing it was sort of just this little thing that built up over time. And there was frustration on both my side and the agency side in the sense of like, I knew 
by the end that I was like, look, I have done everything that you've needed me to do or asked me to do at this point, you guys need to step up and you need to help me because I don't know what else to do. I proofread emails four times and I have anxiety when I press send because I'm afraid that I have, I've missed a typo. And like, I, the short answer to that question is yes, but it was so subtle that it made me feel like it was my fault when in reality now I know that it wasn't and it was really demoralizing and I'm still recovering from self-esteem since because like there will be times where people email me being like hey you have a typo here and I immediately feel that anxiety like perk back up and I have to consciously remind myself you are no longer in survival mode like you are in a safe space this person is trying to help you it's not an attack on your ability to work basically but like it's, it was nefarious of how subtle it was, but it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just like my inability to communicate or set a boundary. And it was their inability to be like, Hey, did you ever think that it might be something else, you know? (laughs) Oh my gosh. And that's why this language is so important on both sides of any relationship you get into the relationship being job organization, community, regardless that everybody involved is aware of what comes with you like you weren't really aware they had no language on mental health apparently or weren't worried about people with mental health disabilities at all in their organization everybody here here or everybody a part of this organization is a circle so you don't have to worry about stars because we don't hire stars here Mm. joe's on you you did Um, (laughs) yeah and that happens so often organizations are unaware or we're unaware that we're stars oh are all near near the first people stars okay but (laughs) beyond that I'm okay with that (laughs) what was kind of the first step I know you said you did a lot of research especially because of the Facebook post you saw from your friend but what was the first step you had to do in saying okay I have this this is the processes I have to put in moving forward? Mm. Um, I love this question. Um, I, I, the first step was honestly just getting comfortable with the idea myself because there is such a stigma around neurodiversity. Um, I mean, I think everyone has like an image of their mind about like what a specific type of neurodiversity Uh, is. I mean, if you think about ADHD, you think of a hyperactive little boy in the classroom who can't sit still and keeps interrupting their teacher. Um, You think of OCD and you think of someone who washes their hands 10 times because they're afraid of germs. You think of someone with autism and you think of someone who's nonverbal or unable to communicate. Like there are all of these stigmas that exist and me explaining them like that was not trying to perpetuate them in any shape, way or form. But I think, and I can only really speak from an ADHD perspective, but I, like, I had had this stigma, or not stigma, but I had this view of what ADHD was for a long time, and I think I've related to it on an unconscious level, but, like, it took, I think it took me about three or four months to even mention it to my partner, which is, like, my my partner is the person who I'm closest with, aside from my parents, right, and I, like, I wasn't even close to thinking about talking to them about it, whereas, like, it just took me so long to be able to like admit to myself, okay, this is something that I have and am willing to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was like figuring out what assessment would look like. I'm not sure I can, once again, only speak, I'm based in Toronto, uh, in Ontario, Canada. I can only speak from an Ontario healthcare perspective, but getting officially diagnosed in this province costs about three grand. It's not covered by provincial healthcare. And like, who has three grand really, aside from like 
people who are uh, like come from wealth. I certainly don't. <laughs> um, and like, I'm speaking from a place of privilege. So I can only imagine what that experience would be for someone who does not come from a family who, who was able to help me or coming from a, a, a racial background, for example. So like, it was figuring out what the process was to like, get help, essentially. So like, I went to my therapist, like I said, with a list of things of how ADHD presents in women, because it does tend to, um, I mean, this is a gross generalization, but it does tend to um, come up in women differently. I think you and I spoke about this when we originally had our conversation about how there's three types of ADHD. There's the hyperactive, which is the, the where the stigma of like a, a hyperactive little boy running around comes from. There's the combined, and then there's the inattentive generally inattentive is what's attributed to women hyperactive is what's attributed to men i have a combination um and so figuring out like okay how do i get assessed she referred me to a doctor um here in toronto who's really well read around adhd and he was able to help me find a medication and then the next step was like okay how do i talk to my employer about this because at the time i was employed full-time and i was I'm so incredibly grateful because she was so incredibly supportive about it. Like I went in and I was so nervous and I was like, okay, I need to talk to you about something. She was like, what, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just, I have ADHD. And she was like, okay, you do what you need to do. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Like it was great. Um, and I know, I know how lucky I am because I know not everybody has a seamless, seamless of an experience as I did. I was just I don't, whether it's privilege, luck, both, I don't know. I know I'm very grateful for the experience because I know from a practitioner and I know I'm rambling at this point, um, but from a practitioner perspective, like not a lot of doctors are well-read on ADHD or neurodiversity and specifically from an ADHD perspective. I've read a lot of stories about people going into the doctor saying, I think I have ADHD, I'd like to try medication. They're like, no, we need you, like we need to get your anxiety and depression under control first. Whereas anxiety and depression are a symptom of untreated ADHD. So treating those a lot of the time, like people will be on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, it doesn't do jack because it's the ADHD and it's the lack of dopamine in their brain that they need help managing. And the science behind ADHD medication is fascinating and not something that I'm comfortable talking about whatsoever because I am not a scientist <laughs> um, or chemist specifically. But yeah, I just, that's, that was the process for me. And I, I know it's different for everyone and I, I can appreciate how terrifying it can be if you're met with resistance every step of the way, because I know that is that is the experience for some people. I'm, I'm so happy for you that you were able to have that seamless conversation with your um, manager or the person that led your team and mm -hmm. that the rest of your support system was very supportive in this transition because it is a transition. Once you get diagnosis, you have to start making changes because once you know something, you have the data, you need to start implementing change in your life. Um, mm -hmm the word language kept coming up because in everyday language, people say, oh, you have ADHD if somebody um, jumps from one topic to another or they just throw it out there so willy-nilly. And it's it's been a part of the culture. It's been a part of our language so long that your ability to kind of put a face to it 
is what's going to enact change for a lot of people, which is why it's so important to set these boundaries because if you are somebody who's listening today and has ADHD and you haven't set boundaries around what you need because of your conditions or you haven't talked to anybody in your support circle, know that there are two fucking rock stars in front of you right now who are more than willing to support you through that transition and have done it themselves. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know if you're if there's a video going out there, but like the amount of like, oh, it's an explosion of yes. <laughs> And while we're on the topic of support systems, do you want to shout out anyone that's been in your support system or your corner since the beginning of this transition? I mean, I like my partner has been amazing. I'm super thankful for him. Um, I have a friend that I met through a freelancing course who she mentioned that she had ADHD and I was like, oh my God, I have ADHD and we've become amazing friends and um yeah, I, there's some days that I get really morose about it because I'm, I feel like I can't do anything because my brain is like, no, no, we're not, it's not going to happen today. And I get really upset. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just having folks, I mean, speaking to anyone who has ADHD, who might be at the point where they're like, not sure if they want to pursue assessment or diagnosis, like, finding people who have ADHD, I think is a really great first step because there's a lot of Facebook groups um, on Facebook, obviously, um, that are about ADHD and they're incredibly supportive places. Generally, there's often a lot of questions about, about medication. So if you're curious about medication, it's, it's, it's a good place to go. But I'm I'm generally a lurker in those Facebook groups, but like reading posts and seeing the fact that a lot of people have had similar experiences to me has just, it's kind of like a little blanket around my heart, knowing that like, I spent a long time thinking like, what's wrong with me? And that's not the case. Like there are a lot of people out there who have struggled with the same things. And like, it's just, it's heartening, you know? Oh, and to, I know um, for me, I didn't really go through the phase of like being afraid that people are going to reject me because I, I didn't know that stigma was attached to diagnosis. <laughs> but I know there are a lot of people who are afraid of that, are afraid that they're going to lose family members, they're going to lose friends, they're going to lose their job. Um, to those people out there, I just want to let you know that you cannot live your life in fear like pretending to be that puzzle piece even though you're a star it's just so hard it's it's so for, on top of having a diagnosis and pretending it would be too hard um and what comes to mind is if I'm too much go find less like <laughs> I keep saying that mm. I'm mm. too much go find less they can find less everywhere there's less everywhere we are rock stars we have said that already so <laughs> but through that transition you talked about the facebook groups that's a great way to build community are there any other softwares technology or books or affirmations that you tell yourself to continue to set boundaries and be the advocate that you need to be i think the biggest uh, this is just what's come to mind recently but the the biggest thing is around like a, a menstrual cycle mm -hmm. um for people who menstruate 
your dopamine tends to take more of a dip in the in the premenstrual cycle. Um, once again, I'm not a scientist. If you are interested, please research that on your own. Um, but I have certainly noticed like I would I would just be like super lethargic the week before my cycle. And I would be like, why? Like, I don't understand. Like it's I, I mean, I know I know there's a lot of things that there's a lot of research happening around um, the menstrual cycle because, you know, misogyny and all of that crap but um when I I had seen like a series of posts and like people talking about how um a person's menstrual cycle can really really impact your dopamine when you're a person with ADHD and I was like oh my goodness like this is whoa and then I started paying attention and I was like this is the reason why and it was beyond helpful just to understand that like, okay, the week before my cycle starts, mm. I'm going to have less energy. So that means I need to be a hell of a lot more gentle with myself if I wake up in the morning and I can only do three tasks because I know the days where I have more dopamine in the middle of my cycle, I'm going to be able to get a hell of a lot more work done and I can make up for that if we're talking productivity. Mm. Um, but that's been really helpful in terms of like just being kinder to myself. My gosh, especially for people who have to bleed. Like, I think we have been so desensitized to the whole menstrual cycle business. It is a whole bit, like it's a lot. Our bodies go through a whole, you know what? That's a whole nother discussion, but <laughs> um, yes. it has, the dehumanization of people in general is very apparent in any industry. Um, and because we are near a divergent, we see it more than people who are not, because we, we, we need more human than any, than more, most people. Um, have you ever had to kind of explain or educate people on how to humanize you after kind of saying like, I have ADHD and this is how much human I need from you, or this is like, this is what I need. Yeah, you know, I can't think of anything specific, but from like my own lived experiences, but one thing that does come to mind is the whole like, oh, everyone's a little bit of ADHD or, oh, everyone's a little OCD or like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so OCD right now. And I'm like, no, no we're not an adjective. Like we're not. Yes, people have, people can lose focus. Yes, um, dealing with executive function can be difficult for one person one day over the other because life happens. Like some days are easy, some days are hard. That's just the way that it is. But using, using a disability or a form of neurodivergence as a descriptor descriptor as to why you cannot do something dehumanizes mm. and like perpetuates stigma. And it's just like, it's really tiring, mm -hmm. honestly. It's, it's, and like, oh. sorry, go for it. No, go, that's, it is literally, it's gaslighting. It's gaslighting. It's um, insensitive. It's ensuring that people who actually need the things that they need don't get what they need. 
Yeah. And I like, <laughs> I, I, um, I feel like, uh, listeners might be like, yo, your title is PR in the ADHD industry or sorry, uh, PR industry and ADHD. And you literally went from like talking about the menstrual cycle to like dehumanizing people. So like what's going on here, but like to relate, to relate all of everything back to like the PR industry. I mean, it's all about productivity, mm. right? And it's all about, I mean, like, I'm not sure what your experience with billable hours has been, but like, I used to have to bill six hours of client work every day. Mm-hmm. And so like that to me is not necessarily accessible to a person who has ADHD, especially a person who menstruates who has ADHD, right? Because like, if I know that for a week in a 28 day cycle, I'm going to have a really low productivity, like I might only be able to bill four hours a day. Mm-hmm. And like, I can imagine if there are PR agency owners listening, they're like shuddering, being like, oh my goodness, that's not enough time. But then at the same time, when I'm at like peak dopamine level, we'll say during the follicular cycle of the menstrual cycle, um, which is like when you're, I think estrogen is at the highest level or whatever, once again, not a scientist, um, I'm able to bill, I could bill like eight to 12 hours a day because like I'm able to work more because I have more dopamine and I'm able to continue doing more tasks. Yes, I am on ADHD medication, but that doesn't solve everything. Mm. Like it helps, but it's not like medication is not like a thing that checks off the box saying, oh yes, I'm cured. Mm. No, it's like, it's like this whole idea of how how autism can be cured. No, no, I'm like, no, (laughs) it's not something to be cured it's a form of diversity, mm. right? It's what makes humanity mm. what it is. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's uh, I wrote down robots because that <laughs> productivity, I worked for a, a really big, I don't know, like a tech firm and I was a career coach for them and they wanted us to complete 17 resumes a day. So every single day you have to complete. And I came into it thinking, okay, y'all gonna get what you're going to get, but they wanted it. They, every single day, like, Hey, I saw that you didn't, you only did 14 today. That's, and I was like, okay, I know who I am as a person and I will not be able to keep up with this pace or whatever you guys got going on over here. It doesn't even have to do with my mental health conditions. Like as a human, I probably won't be able to keep up your quota and which is why it's so important, even if you're not neurodiverse and you're listening to this because of the PR industry part, you need to know what you're able to do. Um, Now that you are your own, you have your own business and are flourishing and everything, how much easier is it for you to say, hey, this is what I do? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, that was, that was one of the reasons why I decided to start my own business was like, was knowing that like my my daily life my weekly life my monthly life my yearly life is fluid mm-hmm. like it's I, I mean and it's ironic because like <laughs> research shows that like to manage your ADHD well you need structure <laughs> or like you need to create structure in your life but like creating structure is the bane of my existence and I hate it and it's really hard to stick to it so it's like it's it's ironic and frustrating which is why I'm laughing because it's the only way I can really cope with it um but 
starting my own business was one way for me to be like, okay, this is how like a really specific example of this is a couple of weeks ago or a couple of days ago, sorry. I was building out a budget for like packages for PR services. Um, and I was, I, at the end of it, like I, I was listing out the tasks that needed to be done. And then I listed like, okay, how many hours would it take for me to do this? Um, which I think is a really common question in the PR industry, which is why it was really important for me to do it. Because like, I remember as a coordinator, I was like, I need to build a media list. How long is this supposed to take me? And nobody told me. And so I, I didn't have an understanding of like how much they had budgeted for me to build this media list. And so I was kind of just like, okay. Whereas now if I'm, working with anyone who's doing PR stuff, I'm always like, okay, here's the time that it generally will take people with like a, a couple of hours, like um, stretch, like for a pitch, for example, I can bang out a pitch in half an hour now, but when I started, it would have taken me like an hour or two hours because I needed to do more research. I was practicing the skill, et cetera, et cetera. So I was building out this um, budget and it was great because it was like providing me structure and it was, I was able to look at like, okay, if I have, if someone picks like this package and this package, I'm going to be working 60 hours or 80 hours in a month. And like, that feels good for me because that's like 15 or 10 or 15, what is math? 10 to 20 hours a week. And that, that works well for me because that's how much time I'd be able to give in terms of client work and that doesn't that doesn't include like advert or like marketing or doing my own pr uh, <laughs> or admin work or anything like that so that that was really important to me to be able to like give myself that flexibility and it was a really gentle way for me to build structure mm, and all of that I hear boundaries, you know, I, I, I mean, this show is about boundaries. So I, the budget is boundaries. The time you want to give to those clients is boundaries. You are setting up that structure so that later down the line, you don't have to say no, um, or I don't have something in place for that. You can simply say, oh no, this is what I have. We can work together in this capacity. But other than that, I have resources available, send you that way or this way. And thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was inspired by a friend of mine, uh, Jasmine Williams. She's a content marketer and she's also like, she created this freelancing course that I mentioned earlier. And I, it, like, she inspired it. She was talking about how she only has like four packages that she does. And I was like, that is such a good way to enforce boundaries because like when you're on a sales call and you're like the, the potential client is talking to you about what they need, you can bend over backwards to like create a bespoke package for them. And sometimes like, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be willing to do it. Like, but sometimes, oh, what was I trying to say? Creating a bespoke package is only like sometimes to like a minimal amount of the time, but having that structure, as you said, is a great boundary for you knowing I only have X amount of time and this is what I'm able to give you. And here's how that helps both of us. Mm -hmm. That helps because this is a, once again, this is a relationship. When I onboard that client, I have to be with them for the remainder of the project or however long we're going to be together. So mm -hmm. throughout this relationship, I need to, you to know how we're going to interact, how this process is going to go and what you're going to get from me. You don't get X, Y, and Z if you only pay for ABC. So don't expect XYZ. Yeah, yep. I think that's what I said. Yeah. Okay.
okay, but this is great. I know, I know you're worried about people in the PR industry being like, okay, what, what train <laughs> is this? I bought this ticket and this train is, <laughs> don't worry, you're still on the right train. But at the end of the track, we do have some really great tips for you. Could you share some top three tips you would give to people who are either neurodiverse or they're moving into the PR industry and don't know what the hell they're doing, or they're just setting boundaries and need help? Sure. So um, I'm going to touch on the last question because it's the one I remember. So I might need help remembering the first two. <laughs> um, in terms of setting boundaries, I mean, I'll answer this from um, I'll answer this from my own lived experience perspective as well as a, a neurodiverse perspective. I mean, I, I mean, I, I just did it with you, right? Like um, being upfront with your capabilities, I think, is incredibly empowering when you're setting boundaries. And we've talked about a couple of examples of that in this episode, whether it was like my example speaking um, to the dentist, uh, Katrina's example about like working for the tech company wanting 17 resumes a day. And she was like, mm, no, no, I can only do 14. So bye-bye. Um, and, and her just like me saying now, I probably won't be able to remember the first two questions. Like being upfront and clear is incredibly helpful when setting boundaries. I mean, it can be scary as I'll get out. And like, I think it can be hard at first to not be emotional around it. And I'm, believe me, I am not telling you to be not emotional because once again, we're human, emotions are a thing. I'm not telling you to, to, to hide your emotions, but being as clear as possible when setting boundaries will set you up for success in the long run. And it's about practice, right? Like, I mean, practice makes perfect and some days it's easier than others. And so being gentle with yourself when you're setting boundaries and if it's harder one day, that's okay. That is a-okay. Um, in terms of advice for people looking to get into the PR industry, flex those relationship men making skills, my friend, because PR is all about relationships. Um, and I think a really great way that you can show that if you're trying to apply for a PR agency, for example, is like connecting with the person who's in charge of hiring before sending in an application, whether it's sending an email saying like, hello, my name is Alana and I am applying for the account manager position. I want to make sure that I'm addressing the cover letter to the right person. Um, can you connect me with them kind of thing? Basically just making that connection beforehand because I mean, and I talk about this in terms of relationship building with media as well, but any way that you can like stand out is really, really helpful. And any way that shows that you know how to build relationships, PR agencies are gonna be like, mm, yes, we like this one, they can stay. Um, and I can't remember the first question. It was something about neurodiversity, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, if you are neurodiverse and you're moving into your first role or a new organization, how can you set boundaries? Right. Excellent. Um, I think just going back to that, being really clear and concise about what you're able to do. I mean, I'm not going to say ask for accommodations up front because that is your own choice. And some places you might feel comfortable doing that more than others. Um, and that is a completely you experience. And that's something that you need to decide for yourself. But like going up, like if a manager asks you for something, and you feel like you're not comfortable doing it because you don't have the capabilities or you're not sure, um, being clear about that and asking for help about how you can work around that 
I think is really, really useful. Mm. And like, always have a paper trail. Always, always, always have a paper trail. <laughs> that's, that's like an aside to that. But those, that's, that's, those are my things. Oh, and I love it. I, I wrote down not emotional because for anybody who's about to pick up their sword right now or whatever you have your cape and say, okay, I am now going to tell people about my diagnosis. I'm going to run into my organization and yell and do all of the things. Know that even if you're not yelling and screaming or wearing a cape, it's still going to be a very emotional process. Like we're, we're making it sound like it's just like, yeah, just do it, man. And flip the doors and do all the things, but it is very emotional it is very taxing. I want to say, mm. and it, it just takes time. She, she talked about practice. This, this is all about practice. This is why I do it every single week because I learn shit every, I just learned so much in this conversation, but if you don't have the conversation, then you won't be able to move forward in spaces that you feel comfortable with. And they're just going to keep asking you to do things that you may not be capable of doing. Um, and that's for anybody, like anybody on the planet, or if you're, you don't feel comfortable doing. So you want to move away from that. And I know she said, she's not going to tell you to be upfront in the beginning, but I'm going to tell you to be upfront in the, okay. beginning. <laughs> in the interview process. I, in every interview process I've been after being diagnosed, I say, Hey, I come with mental health conditions and I will be expecting this from you because they're going to be expecting a lot from you in exchange for money or cheeseburgers or whatever they they're giving you. But yeah, I going in as relationships again, going into that relationship, I encourage you to be as upfront as possible in your mm -hmm. own comfort, of course, but yeah, just, because imagine you going into that organization and not really talking about it, then uh, three weeks later, they're like, okay, we're going to give you 17 projects and they're all over the place and we don't know anything about them. Figure it out. Good luck. Yeah. Like, okay, by the way, I am in a downward spiral right now and I can't, mm -hmm. yeah, but Thank you so much for everything you have shared with us today. We have talked about almost everything. I don't think we talked about dolphins, but we'll get that on the next time you're on here because she will be back, everyone who's listening to this. So don't worry. If you didn't hear about what you wanted to hear about, we'll hear it pretty soon. But before we close out today, do you have any last minute sprinkles you'd like to share with the audience? I think if we can just close with, if you are unsure because you are afraid that you will be ostracized for sharing your assessment diagnosis because self-assessment is a thing too um and i don't want to understate the importance of that i would like to share that that diagnosis will probably have a much more positive impact not just on yourself, but the people around you. I mean, the messages I've received, even in, within the past like two weeks from people saying like, thank you so much for your ADHD advocacy. Like, this is my experience. And like, you've inspired me to do this. Like, that's the point of why Katrina is doing this. That's the point of why I do this is like to help build those conversations and to help 
the people like yourself who might be feeling alone or scared because they're afraid of being ostracized that like there are whole communities out there who will support you and they exist and if people do ostracize you I am so very sorry and they did not deserve to be in your life in the first place if they're not able to support you and accept you for who you are because we do not to speak for you, Katrina, but I figured you'd be okay with that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And for anybody who's only listening to this, I am crying because I think all of us, all of us who belong to all the communities we talked about, whether you menstruate or you're neurodiverse or you believe in um, being a star, um, whatever else we talked about today, we were all in the beginning of this transition looking to be accepted and um, we just really want you to know that you will be just with the right people. With the, we're out here, we are out here. Yep, <laughs> coming. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. And with that, thank you so much for being here today. Once again, this is absolutely not. My amazing special guest today was Alana Simpson and her information will be in the show notes when this is published but until next time keep doing whatever the hell you are doing to make you happy bye bye thank you thank you so much for listening to absolutely not your support means the world to me you can always further support the show by leaving a review or visiting the support the mission page on my website www.katrinastroll.com My website is also where you can register for upcoming live episodes, watch amazing past episodes of Absolutely Not, and buy Absolutely Not merch. Yay! Until next time, keep setting those boundaries and saying absolutely not to anything unaligned. See you next time.